Hello, I'm Martin Mercer. And I'm James Mastriani. You've never heard of us. We're two Brits who grew up in North London and have had varying success in the film and television industry. In our ever-advancing age, we find ourselves on... The The Wrong wrong Side side of of Hollywood. In our series of podcasts, we'll share our experiences of what it's like being a British bloke living and working... Or not. ...in the biz. We'll discuss everything from fish and chips to things that wind us up. So stay with us. It's all uphill from here. This podcast may contain strong language. If you're of a sensitive nature or easily offended, we invite you to, as they say in Blighty, jog on. Welcome back, everyone. You've been gagging to continue the adventures of Mary. (laughs) Well, let's get to it. Everybody seemed to meet and get married on yeah, that thing. Right. I'd say I met him on Ghostbusters, divorced him on Gremlins too. So that, <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of how I remember. It's kind of weird timeline. That's that's, it, this is how you put things. When people, what year did you do that? I think what was I working on? And, that, and I true. relate everything totally. to films. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah. And you worked on Gremlins too. Oh yeah. Oh that was my later. God. Oh. This is going to go on for hours. I know. And we haven't even touched your writing abilities. Oh, I'm going to share one story that happened through boss film okay half of my life spent on masters of the universe oh, really? oh no there's some great visual effects in there a lot of physical effects and a lot of visual effects and a lot of stories which i won't <laughs> touch on all of them but i know that my friend lars anderson was the physical effects guy on that and he's the one who forged beautiful swords mm-hmm. that was aluminum like aeronautic aluminum heavy swords mm-hmm. they were made like the hero swords for he-man and everything and And that was a lot, a lot, a lot of work, a year and a half, like I said. And they made that little thing that opens up and spins around. And I can't even remember what they called it, but it was an articulate prop created by Stuart Ziff. And you know that one of the main characters who played the little tiny wizard was Billy Barty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The little person. Yeah. I did not know. I used to watch him when I was a child. He had a kid show called The Billy Barty Show. And he hosted this show for kids. And he's like three foot nine. And he was elderly when he was cast for this role. And (laughs) the character was made, I believe it was Westmore's company making his Wildor costume. It was a full heavy foam over the head appliance. So Billy is wearing this body outfit, a heavy robe with a hood and this full prosthetic thing, the whole nine yards. So on this particular day, we're out on location in Malibu Canyon during the summer when it's like 110 degrees. Oh my God, shit. Now, Dolph Lundgren is wearing basically like a loincloth. Right. (laughs) And he's running, he's sweaty and being Dolph and the other actors are running. Here's Billy. Billy is supposed to be running with them. Billy can't keep up with them. And he's running and he's running and he's running. And all of a sudden you hear this muffled, stop, don't do it, stop. (laughs) At first I thought, where's that coming from? And then realize it's Mr. Barty, and he staggered over to a log, and he rips this thing out. He's pouring sweat. I'm, oh, God damn it. It's hot. I can't do this shit. And I thought, that's the man from my childhood. <laughs> and I totally understood. Oh, yeah. Cut cut please someone get mr barty some cold water and he's grumbling and just spewing and dolph lunger is sitting there rolling his eyes i'm like wow you really should have thought out the whole makeup and him for this role 
That was hard, but I thought that was one of the greater oh, moments. Oh, no, that's brilliant. <laughs> Poor Mr. Barty. Brilliant. But it was fun. And I remember at the time, Dolph Lundgren was also dating Grace Jones, the, oh, oh, that's the model. Right. And they got into a bit of a tip. On the set? No, at home, oh. she set his wardrobe on fire. <laughs> That's a very Grace Jones thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I remember there were standing orders at Rally Studio that if she showed up, they were to get guards. She's not allowed on set. And everybody was like, do you think she'll come here? Like, no, she's not going to come here. What if they think she's, oh, I don't know, man. I'll throw you at her. I'll run. All I have to do is run. She's strong. Oh, yeah. yeah. But that was just one of the colorful stories. We can move on. I can talk about that all day. That's just fantastic. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's so amazing. On, um, when you were at Warner Brothers. Oh, Hold on, hold on, hold on. No. Hang on. No, you, no, we've missed out Cinnovation with Rick Baker. I know we talked oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Come on. We have. Sorry, James. I to, will to backtrack. It. Just hold yeah. on. If, Let if, me if, just. If, if. <laughs> <laughs> He's bossy. He is bossy. So, very, very also, I'm gagging. I'm yeah, I'll do these tea. baked goods from the Continental Shopper here. Kosher. Does that mean anything? Actually, my mother was Jewish. Yeah. She was a German Jew and my dad was Irish Catholic. Pretty cool, huh? Oh, what a great I, I'm mix. I'm fine, really. I'm what? That you. cost me serious money. I'll get to it. Don't worry. Well, well okay. Can I have a tea, please? Mary, is there anything else you want? You saw I've got those specially for you. I'm a bit sad. Oh, well, we won't have that here. Let's, Come on. Here. Have well, the smallest one. The sugar-free okay. if you can't have sugar. No, I can have anything I want. Okay. But thank you. They you look lovely. No, I got my coffee. Okay, after being at Boss Film for about four years, I was antsy. Nobody mm. stays too long, and I wanted to try other things on for size. And I had an opportunity to go and work very briefly as a visual effects consultant producer on a small film for a company that was doing commercials. I mm -hmm. was worked on a Spick and Span commercial and some gasoline commercial. And then uh, John Candy, his last movie, Wagons East, I worked on that. Mm -hmm. I remember going to a meeting with the director and John Candy came in. Big, tall guy and he was very heavy. Yeah. And he is supposed to have a very physical role in the movie and I understood he was going to do his own stunts, which basically is ride on a horse, fall into water, scramble up a side of a river. And I said, aren't you worried about him having a heart attack? I swear to God, I asked that. Oh my God. And they said, <laughs> he's fine. The doctors wouldn't have okayed him. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And we all know how that movie ended. He died of a coronary oh. event. Yeah. And before that all happened, I was in charge of finding someone to double for him, some padding and all that. But that was really sad. So I thought, okay, I don't like this. I think I'll do something else. I worked for a fellow named Richard Stutzman who worked at Boss Film. Oh. And he worked for physical effects. I worked on this one movie where I met this youngster named Greg Nicotero from KMD. Oh, yeah, that guy. That oh was on God. Deep Star 6. Amazing. Originally titled Deep Six. I said, you don't know what that means, do you? That's a slang term for throw it away. Deep Six that. Uh, no, so, no. I thought it was a cheap oh, science you're Brits, fiction what do you film. Know? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a slang term oh, for Deep Star the... Six. Sorry. Yeah, so then they renamed it Deep Star Six, and mm. I met Greg Nicotero there working on the creature. And then I went on to work for another effects person, Clay Penny, oh. from Backdraft. He passed away recently, unfortunately. He did. That yeah. was very sad. Yeah, huge physical effects guy. Right. Physical effects being explosions, fire, exactly. breakaways, and stuff right. like that. Hold that thought for one second. Oh, oh. air matron. 
Ah, <laughs> a good week. Mary has very kindly given us a lovely bottle of Chandon Brut. Enjoy. Cheers, Mary. Oh, campai. Cheers, Salud. Mary. Bottoms up. Same. Um, Thank you. Just a tiny drop, James, because you know I fall over if I have alcohol. Thank you. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I was trying my hands in different fields. Mm. And it's funny how they all are. The physical effects guys are really down to earth. I like to build things, blow them up and burn yeah. things. And they all live like up and act in an own acreage and have tools oh yeah <laughs> but they're very clever physical effects because i started in physical effects as a trainee and george gibbs was the supervisor and he had this whole garage which you know in england was very unusual he had a cabinet with shotguns and he had explosives and one fireworks night there was a bus stop over the other side of his house and there were rowdy kids and he literally got a shell burst simulator it was basically an artificial tank shell is what oh, they use my. for training and so he put a slit in the bottle so it wasn't as powerful and he detonated the and it just went boom in fact it was so powerful it actually cracked his windows but these guys have all this stuff yeah. like you were saying they have these big houses and it's full of all this wonderful gear great characters oh i loved it well before we get into rick i will tell one physical effects story when i was working for clay penny it was on the movie called toys oh. not a fantastic film but it was robin williams yeah. and it had a buttload of effects in it sure so the shop was located down in the very cusp of Culver City, down near Inglewood. And it was a very nice shop. All the guys there fabricated these little tanks and things that were supposed to carry explosives. And there was a huge vault, a really big pyro vault, where they kept all of the explosives that were going to be used in the big climactic scene. And they were shooting it at 20th Century Fox. In fact, it was so volatile, one of the guys went in there to check out some pyro powder. Mm. And he didn't even notice some of the powder had filtered into the air. Static electricity set it off, and he was burned head to toe. Oh, Rushed shit. to the Grossman burn ward where they had to graft skin. He's okay. He oh, no. recovered. But that's just how yeah. very, very volatile. Sounds like flash powder. Right. Yeah. And that was just powder. That yeah. was just the powder. Yeah. So they had just tons of stuff in this vault. Well, this was in like 1991, and we were working on this for a long time. And then Rodney King happens. Right. And then the LA riots happen. Yeah. And we were right down in this building, and it's early in the morning. We're watching the news on this little dumb TV with rabbit ears. And as we're watching it, the front door to the shop is open, and it looks out onto the street. And there's coverage of looting that's occurring at what was called a Gemco. It was a department type of store, kind of like a big box store, like yeah. an early Costco. Mm. And it was in this strip mall. And I'm looking, I said, that's behind us, guys. That's, oh, in, that's right behind us. And we're watching it. And you could see where there's a looter and he's carrying like a TV or something. That's very funny. And he footage. disappears off frame. Uh -huh. And I look up and I see him no. in front of the street. It's like, it's unreal. <laughs> it was freaking unreal. It's like, dude, that's right behind us. And I said, Clay, we should shut the shop up. He goes, well, we got to get to sell. I'm going to call you. We didn't have cell phones, really. He goes, just call the stage. We had a stage number and I'm going to leave one of the Teamsters here with you. So it's just me and a Teamster in the shop. Everybody else leaves because they have to get ready for this great big scene. And meanwhile, things are escalating. Oh and I'm watching and hours are going and I said, what's going on? We better leave. I can't reach Clay at the stage. I can't reach anybody. Nobody's there. Even the Teamsters getting nervous. 
And now the Gemco is set fire to. It's it's oh, ablaze. No. So this is getting to be like early afternoon, and I call the main production office, and this man answers toys production. I said, this is Mary over at the physical effects shop. I can't reach anybody. Well, the whole studio is evacuated. I said, who's this? Charles Newworth, the A-level, A-list oh producer. <laughs> Talk about a captain going down with his ship. I love yeah. it. Wow. And oh. he was there. And I said, well, there's a building on fire right behind us and they're looting. Well, get out of there. Get out of there now. Yeah, I would love to, Charles, except we have tons and tons of pyro. If this building catches fire, the whole block will explode. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> get out of there now! Get out! Get out! I'm going to send Teamsters down. And I guess he found somebody and I said, dude, we're out of here. Go. So we get in our cars and go. And he apparently sent somebody down and they cleared it out. Wow. But on my way to the on-ramp, which is all of a quarter mile, it took me like half an hour to get to it because there are looters running toward my oh car, my smacking my car as I go. It looks like Beirut during the bombing. Jeez. I'm driving around all this debris and broken appliances. It was terrifying. Wow. And uh, then went home and watched L.A. burn from the top floor of our building. So that was exciting. Hey, (laughs) welcome to L.A. Come to the glamour of Hollywood. Unbelievable. I mean, I remember seeing those headlines in the Daily Mail. parents newspaper and it said LA burns and yeah. it's just seeing it, it. and no then of course lie. we actually we went out there uh, in 92 afterwards to work on Waxworks 2 so it was very <gasps> bizarre I remember my friend had this huge 67 Corvette or something with the big fins at the back and he broke <laughs> down in East Los Angeles and he was what? standing out there he goes oh can you help and he goes it's your fucking car, man. And then just drove, and it was just like, oh, oh my, my God. God. So it was a bit, yeah, yeah harsh times, harsh times. Got to be careful where you are sometimes. Yeah. yeah. But that must have been terrifying because you and the teams were the only person left in the shop, right? We were the only two. That Jeez. was it. And we got out. Where was the stage? Uh, they were shooting at Fox. Oh. They were actually at the studio I'll on one up. of the studios there. Yeah. And yeah. our building was far away. Right. It was owned by the studio and that's where they did that. Right. But uh, we can go to Cinovation. Yeah. Yeah, so how did you meet the master? And he is the master. All right. Talk about my naivete. My good friend, Sue, who I worked with, she was the receptionist and like a coordinator at the creature and model shop at Boss Film. And we became good friends. We would go out. She had gotten married and uh, she had gotten pregnant and she had been offered the job to come and be Rick Baker's office coordinator and wow. work for him. She calls me and says, um, I can't do it because I'm pregnant. <laughs> And I gave him your name and number. I said, what's his name again? Who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because that really wasn't it. It says, Rick Baker. You know, okay, what has he done? And I said, have you seen this, that? Oh, yeah, okay. So he does creatures. Copy that. I didn't know who he was. I didn't really know. To me, it's a job. You right. know, I'm not a creator. So if I were a sculptor or a foam runner or one of those, yeah. I would know he was a god, right? So I get the call. I'm Rick Baker. Oh, good for you. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm Mary. So he, he invites me to his shopping club. Glendale, and I come armed with all my papers to show him the kind of spreadsheets I do and all this and come in and right away I see Steve Wang again who mm. oh, hey Steve and I recognize a couple people because I've worked with them in the past he's got a very nice shop very meticulously clean shop everyone is quietly sculpting 
sculptors are here, foam runners here, painters here. On the other side, they have a foam shop, beautifully laid out. So I go there and he opens the door and greets me as I come into my office. And that's cool. You go through this little lobby area where he has a big table and here's samples of his work. And there's Michael Jackson's head and all this. So I come and sit down and uh, I said, what are you looking for? I'm looking for someone to run the administrative end of my company. And we have everyone here and we're getting into this sequel of Gremlins called Gremlins 2. We're going to be mm. creating a lot of Gremlins. And I said, well, that's what I do. I organize, I coordinate, I keep budgets, I keep track of things. And I started to show him my spreadsheets. And I interrupt myself. I said, and I have to be honest with you, I don't know who you are. <laughs> I, I, I said that to him. Wow. Oh and he kind of smiles. I said, I know you're famous in this field, but this is what I do. And I'm really good at what I do. And this is what I'm famous for. So that's what I do. He wouldn't even let me finish. I went like, started to talk. He said, you're hired. Uh, Just like that. Yeah, I said, exactly. but I haven't shown you. It doesn't matter. You're hired. Wow. Okay. So I was hired and it just kind of went from there and got to meet all these people. It was an amazing thing to, cool to be there. And you really get involved because, okay, you're going to wear a gremlin too. At one point they needed an insert of a gremlin hand and Lars Anderson who I'd mentioned earlier grabs my hand well here here's your hand right here because I was really thin right. then and I had these long nails perfect gremlin hand oh so I guess I'm gonna have a gremlin hand there in the movie but we would go regularly to the studios for meetings with all of the keys as they did the script breakdowns to make sure who's covering what gremlin here gremlin there right there was a shop foreman and he and I would join Rick it was him he sort of represented the physical aspect and I was the administrator. I take notes and stuff. Right. And Rick would always carry a briefcase. And I said, why have you got a briefcase? <laughs> and he goes, well, they're full of my headshots. And I thought, like, nobody's going to want your headshots at the meeting. Well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we were meeting with Joe Dante and everybody. And Rick had to excuse himself. He went to the restroom. And I said, open up the briefcase. I said, it's locked. If I know Rick, I'll bet you it's one, two, three. It was one, two, three. <laughs> and it was. And it opened up and there's all his headshots. I said, give me one of them. He always signed all of his headshots as Beast Wishes from Beauty and yeah, the Beast. Yeah, yeah. Beast Wishes, Rick yeah. Baker, RB. Yeah. And I forged it perfectly. And we put it over on Joe Dante's spot. And Rick comes back and then Joe, hello, everyone. What is this? Beast Wishes? <laughs> Thanks, Rick. And, and Rick says, who gave him that? <laughs> oh, no idea. Where did that come from? So we were always doing stupid stuff like that. And then we got out so early that, wow, they're not going to expect us back at the shop for three more hours. Swamp Thing is playing. Let's go to the movie and see Swamp Thing. <laughs> so we went and saw Swamp Thing. That was fun. But going back to the creation of all these characters, we would go to the studio and regularly meet with the writer and Joe and the producer to see how things were going to play he was writing the script according to how they would be able to work the gremlins right. and right. to determine would it be a hand puppet would it be articulated mm. how would we do it so here's my big opportunity the writer who was there was on a phone remember those big like almost the bricks walkie-talkies yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's busy talking and not really in the meeting it's just not there and they're talking about how to make a scene work in the movie if you recall there's a kitchen scene where it's a kitchen show 
and they want to know how to make the gremlins work in the kitchen scene. And they're coming up with all these lame ideas. Obviously, guys who don't cook. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I am the cook. I, I'm all about kitchen stuff. So I leaned in and said, Derek, could I put in my two cents? Go ahead. And I said, why don't you have the woman pick the pot? I think it was margarine. And pick the lid up. And the gremlin sits up. Really simple to do and squirt with a turkey baster because that could be attached. You know, I'm thinking how it would work. And I'm like, I like that. I like that. So there's Joe. He had his little voice. And <laughs> I like that. And I said, well, how are we going to make it go from there? I said, it's really simple. You just have the gremlins throw metal into the microwave and turn it on. That causes an explosion. That causes the sprinklers to come on. And that causes the gremlins to get wet and propagate. Ooh. And I remember Joe, that's brilliant. <laughs> Joe thought it was brilliant. <laughs> Did you get a writing credit? No. Damn no. It. Ah, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Joe asked me to script it, which I did. And then we had to talk about the very end where the big spider gremlin yeah. comes out. And I said, well, why not have little gizmo or flammable glue on him, set him on fire with his little arrow, and he immolates. I did that one, too. So unscripted, I wrote up those two scenes. But it was unfortunate that the spider gremlin that took so long to create was oversaturated with flammable uh. material by the effects crew that it burned so quick and so fast. If you look at the movie, it's not on camera very long, right. and they didn't have time to make another one. So there was the quick demise of the spider gremlin. Oh, oh. I'm going to have to watch that again. Then. Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> no double takes and kind of yeah. stretching it out. Like one minute there, next minute frame. Yeah. Just skeleton yeah. kind of thing. But it was a fun movie. I mean, I got to meet Christopher. Oh my oh, god. Yes. Oh yes. Did you meet Christopher? Here I am. I'm supposed to be the adult in the shot, right? <laughs> so I'm supposed to take a group of puppeteers over to the stage, kind of escort them. And they're all like, Christopher Lee. They're practically wetting themselves. And I'm being very strict. I said, Mr. Lee is working. He's not here for your amusement. I'm giving him like the whole teacher talk. I said, he's working. If you see him, don't rush up to him. Don't talk to him. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. No, I mean it. Just don't. So we're walking along outside of the studio where all the dressing trailers and makeup trailers are. And here a door opens and it's Christopher Lee in his outfit getting ready. And he's got a paper bib on because he's got a makeup coming on. And he opens the door. It's like the sun. <laughs> it's Christopher Lee. Now who runs up to him? <laughs> I'm like, Mr. Lee! Oh my god, I love you! The best vampire who ever existed since the beginning of time. I love you. We all ran up to him. He was delightful. Yeah. He could not be engaging enough, told stories, and he was absolutely the epitome of gentleman. Yeah, I right. loved him. I know this is about you today, but he told this wonderful story about being on holiday with his family in Romania and the car broke down. And it was a dark and stormy mm -hmm. night and he knocked on the door and the person that opened it saw him and mm. freaked out. Oh my God, really? That's yeah. amazing. It was brilliant. He was telling that on Parkinson. I think. Oh, right, right. It was, right. It was excellent. Oh, it was very, very funny. That's hilarious. What, anyway, a, what a legend. Yeah. That, was, that was great. It was such a silly, fun movie. Really, and Tony Randall's voice and all the silly gremlins that were part and parcel of the thing. Yeah. And Rick was really great about letting everyone have their creative juices flow. Says, well, just, you know, make a vegetable gremlin. Show I was thinking of veg 
vegetable one. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. actually was given the prototype. Yeah. Fat we, little thing. With... Do you still have it? No. <gasps> I'm sorry. That I could don't. have been your pension. Well, a lot of things were destroyed during the earthquake. Oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. I lost a lot, but it was done by Norman Cabrera. Yes. Amazingly. It was a man. fat, adorable little pot-bellied gremlin with his ears were lettuce. That one oh. is so cute. Oh. I have seen some of those. Uh, well, the castings of them. We had a few going round image back in the day and they are exquisite yeah. just the work personship yeah. in them is amazing absolutely amazing the personalities came through and i love the fact that they have like the lenny and george characters yeah from of mice and men right and uh the one that looks like edward g robinson very cute <laughs> Very old school. Yeah. So you were basically here for Gremlins 2, and then what happened after that? You didn't stay, because obviously Cinovation only closed a few years ago, didn't it? It was downsizing. I really didn't want to work in creature effects right. either. Yeah. So toward the end of that time, I had met my current husband, Les, and we decided we're going to get married, we're going to have a family, and I thought, I'm not going to work 24-7 and do this if we're going to have a family, and I'll just contour. And my husband had started an audio post-production facility where they were doing dubbing and sound effects and that sort of thing for various projects and he had transitioned from his garage studio to a brick and mortar and it was a sublet inside of a big warehouse where the owner had built these spaceship sets for his own project. Yes, really, they did. And he wanted to turn the building into a legitimate soundstage. So Les had said, well, why don't you hire her? She could do that. She could work for me and she could be there. So I did. I helped retrofit the building and turn it into a soundstage, which it is to this day. Mm. And then I was working for my husband and they were doing anime, primarily Japanese animation, and they were dubbing and it was the early, early days, really. We had some amazing projects come through there, and I was not all that familiar. I thought, who's anime? Who's she? <laughs> Who is anime? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize. As a kid, I grew up watching Astro Boy and right. Speed Racer and Kim of the White Lion, and it wasn't called anime. It was rather unfavorably called Japanimation right. and mm. other things, but I was intrigued by it. Well, remember the director and writer who would come in. His name was Kevin Seymour. And I don't know what it was about me. He hated me and I didn't like him either. We just, we were at oil and water. <laughs> Mary, Mary, Kevin. We tried to avoid each other. Right. But he was the director and he and another fellow did all the writing. And one day I overheard him say, I really need more writers. I just don't know what to do. And I tapped him on the shoulder. How about me? How about you what? I thought, how about you give me a chance to write one of the scripts? I'm decent. I could do it. All right. Yeah, he was just so <laughs> grudging. And he gave me an episode, episode three, of something called Giant Robo. It was the weirdest off-the-chart, over-the-top show. And he said, just try to make it sink to mouth, and you have a little creative license. Stay within the context and be faithful to the originator's thing. Read it, and he prepped me. And I did it. And he looked at it and goes, it's not bad. And I know <laughs> it was hard for you to say that, yeah. wasn't it? It was. <laughs> and they dubbed it and it went really well. And goes, would you like another one? Yes, I would. And each one I did better and better. And before you know it, we're like become best friends. And he became my mentor. And he goes, I didn't know you liked Andy Warhol. Man, I love Andy Warhol. And we found we had all these things in common. It's like, wow, you're my best friend. So we really bonded. It was funny. And about a year after I started, I'm still a newbie at this. Kevin walked up to me. He goes, Mary, I've been talking to Ken Iadomi. Ken Iadomi 
was a producer who brought a lot of projects to our studio, and he worked for Bondi. So he brought in oh, a yeah. lot of Bondi projects. I've been talking to Kenny Adomi, and we have decided that you are going to write Ghost in the Shell. Wow. And I wow. went, what's a ghost in the shell? <laughs> <laughs> like, I never heard of it. <laughs> and he looks at me, you don't know, not a clue. It was that we have much work, Padawan. Look, he goes, I'll have you prepped. Don't worry. Oh, and right before he came up to it, too, it was uh, Kenny Adomi, who is Japanese and speaks in three-word sentences, had come up to me before then. And he goes, Mary, how are you? I said, I'm fine, Ken. How are you? Good. You go to Japan. I said, I'd like to go to Japan sometime. Yeah. Thank you. He goes, you go in two weeks. You have pass- <laughs> he, he did. He, you go in two weeks. You have passport? What are you talking about? I have Kevin explain. <laughs> And I really believe that the only reason I wrote Ghost of the Shell was that I had a valid passport. If I didn't have a valid passport, I wonder if I would have even gone. Yeah, and then two weeks later, I'm on a plane. Back when you could do this, I was handed a letterbox, one of those like Staples office supply letterboxes, uh-huh. filled with all the manga uh-huh. written by, not Mamoru Oshii was the director of the, it was... Um, James, this is your specialty. It'll come to me. I'm so sorry. That's all right. I blame you because you gave me this to drink. Well, you brought it. (laughs) More champagne. That's true. I know. More champagne. Masamune Shiro or Shiro Masamune. I've never really understood which comes first, and that seems to be a matter of debate. But he was the creator of the Ghost in the Shell manga. So I had to read all of that on the 10-hour flight to Japan so that I would know all there was to know about the manga for Ghost in the Shell. Did you see the movie, though? Uh, It was being done concurrently. Oh, really? The anime film was being done concurrently with the American release. Mm. So there was nothing to see except the manga. So anyway, we went to Japan and uh, I was the only woman of the group. Ken came, Lawrence Guinness, one of the heirs to the Guinness beer fortune. He was a producer for manga entertainment. I'd be a producer if I was heir to the Guinness fortune. Yeah. (laughs) Right. He never brought any beer, the schmuck. <laughs> what year was that this? That was uh, 1995. Oh, okay. So it must have been amazing. I assume you went to Tokyo? Oh, yes. Yeah. We went to Tokyo for a week of meetings. And I tell you that I just love Japan. It was yeah. amazing. I really want to go back. So we went there for intense meetings, all day meetings. And I would go. I had my computer and I had my notebook. I had watched everything. I read up on all the characters and I'm ready to listen. Every single shot was gone through because he wanted to make sure that the adaptation in English was done extremely faithfully. And we're all about that. That was like our mission statement. We're not going to screw with your original thing. Mm -hmm. So we go up there and Oshi has one expression. (laughs) He doesn't smile. He doesn't frown. He doesn't get it. He has no emotion. Like, wow, okay. And we get up there and he never looked at me. He never spoke to me. He only spoke to the translator and we'd go through things. And as we went through everything, I would occasionally have a question. And as we were going through the film, it wasn't even complete. There were black slugs that were not animated yet, but we went through everything. And we come to a part where, again, I don't know his work. There's a scene, repeated scene, two of them with a basset hound. And he does nothing without purpose. And every frame has a purpose. He said, please ask Oshisan, what is the significance of the dog? And the translator, and he says something. And he looks at me and he does the shrug. He said, (laughs) you don't know what's in your own movie. Okay, moving on. We get to the dog again. I said, again, the dog? 
I get the same shrug. And I thought, why is he being so coy? That was weird. But I didn't understand it. And then we get to a scene where we're talking about guns. There's a lot of weaponry in the movie. I'm going to preface this. I don't care if it's politically incorrect. I own guns. I am a shooter. I've been a shooter since I was five. I come from a family of hunters and shooters. I'm very careful and respectful of weapons, but I know my guns. I know guns. So that's not a big thing in Japan. You're not even allowed to own guns. Mm. But here we are talking about guns, and some of the nomenclature he's picked out for the guns, some are real, some are not. And I'm thinking in terms of how am I going to make that fit into the mouth flaps. And I said, can we go with a different type of name? Because you're not showing the gun, you're just talking about it. And I don't like this, it's awkward and it won't fit. How about this? And all of a sudden he turns the translator and he's angry. And the translator looks nervous and talks to me. Uh, Oshisan would like to know what you know about guns. Mm. Okay, I'll tell you what I know about <laughs> guns. I said, I'm a shooter. I'm a very good shooter. I own a lot of guns. I own rifle. I own pistols. And that went back and his eyes got big. What kind of guns? I said, well, I have a Beretta, I have a Smith & Wesson, I said, I have a 357 Magnum. All of a sudden, he sits up and he clasps his head and goes, Dirty Harry gun? <laughs> I said, oh, and you speak English. Okay. <laughs> okay, got that. So that was funny. And ever since that moment, he looked at me. And it's like, wow, I needed a little respect with weapon. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we, Amazing, went, we got through all those. And one night after one of the meetings, we said our goodbyes. And Kenny Adomi simply asked, you like Chinese food? I said, yeah, I love Chinese food. We go have dinner. Okay, sounds good. But what he didn't tell me was that we were going to dinner with other people. Mm. And I didn't understand why right before we left for Japan, he had given me this old VHS. Remember VHS? Yeah. This old copy of this movie that was three vignettes called Memories by um, Otomo, who did Akira. Okay. And mm. I watched it and I thought, why do you want me to watch this? Um, I just want you to watch. Okay. No, he never explained anything. <laughs> so you just did what he wanted. And we go to dinner and it's dinner with Otomo oh. and the three animators who had each directed those individual oh, wow. segments. Oh, How cool is that? It's like a little heads up would have been yeah. nice. <laughs> well, and in Japan, you don't ask for liquor. They just put it in front of you. And it's like, oh, there's three beer for me. No. <laughs> so, and we're tired. It's been a long, hot day. And I'm sitting next to one of his animators, who's a rather diminutive man. He was very quiet. I remember he had a little brush mustache and a little cap. And they were introducing me. And they said, there's Tanaka-san. He did Magnetic Rose, which was my favorite of the three. And I reached over. I'd already had two beer. I reached over and I put my hand on his arm. I said, I loved Magnetic Rose. That was my favorite one. I guess I proposed to him. Oh! Because he was... <laughs> I'm going to marry this one. <laughs> he was like on me the whole time. And in Japan, the appropriate thing to do is to pour each other's drink. You right. never pour your own. So after dinner, we had a lovely dinner. Well, it was very nice to meet you. Are. Oh, no. Now we go drinking. <gasps> oh, my <laughs> God. So here we go. We go out to one of the oldest bars in Tokyo that has tatami mats where you kneel mm, down yeah. and 
It's a beautiful place. And I had been out earlier that day at lunch with Kenny Adomi, who helped me purchase a gift for my husband. We weren't married yet. It was a laser disc of Macross Plus, and it was Shoji Kawamori, who had worked with Oshisan in the mecha designs of Transformers or whatever. Mm. And it was this beautiful, gorgeous laser disc. So I'm carrying this around with me with my briefcase. So when we get to the bar, there is a cubby. Now, this is an old bar, and the cubbies may be five feet high. I'm guessing like 20 feet long. The thing is huge, and it's made out of teak. So I'm putting everything, my shoes, everything into a cubby, but the laser disc is too high. So I just set it on top, lean it against. And then we go and we start the drinking process. I don't remember much because I couldn't even feel myself after we were done. (laughs) We closed the place. And I remember when we were served the sake, I picked up the sake. Everybody had this collective (gasps) gasp. And then I poured a drink for Mr. Tanaka because I had studied the etiquette. And they all went, oh, wow, what would have happened? Would they have like chopped my head off or something? So anyway, we're pouring drinks and he can't keep my glass full enough. I'm so drunk. And we get up to go. There's no one in the place. I go to get the laser disc and I knock it behind this thousand pound cubby. Uh. And I just look at it and I walk over to Ken and Ken's already got a cigarette in his mouth. I said, Ken, hi. said, you know that disc that you helped me buy for less? Hi. I knocked it behind that. And all of a sudden his eyes go, oh, (laughs) and he runs over to the hostess who runs to the kitchen. The only people there are the chef and his assistant. So here comes the chef. He looks like a Japanese Popeye. (laughs) He's bald. He's got these massive forearms and he comes walking out. And he's got this little skinny assistant next to him. And he's rubbing his chin, assessing it. So they both grab onto the thing and pull it away from the wall. And it sounds like an old ship. It's creaking. And then he puts the guy up against it to brace it. The guy is shaking as he's trying to hold it. The bigger guy gets on top and he pulls out the laser disc. And then he starts to pull out everything else that's falling behind it for like the last eight. 80 years yeah. and I'm like that's amazing look at what he's a kid do you look at <laughs> he goes we must go no this is the best show in Tokyo right now we can't go <laughs> anyway, that was my drunken stupid night and then I came home and wrote Ghost in the Shell now didn't you have to come up with a special name for something in oh yeah was um, that Ghost in the Shell or was yeah. that something yeah. oh, oh the yeah guy. I've heard whispers of this story there were a lot of problems with the film when I got <laughs> back I said you have two weeks Back then, that was not very long. Two weeks is pretty typical for a 20, 22-minute show. I had two minutes and reminded you that it hadn't been fully animated yet. And Yutaka Maseba, who was the immediate producer, I loved him. He was a very good friend. He was very thrifty. So he comes in and he hands me this VHS. Here's your working thing to put into the deck that I was using. It's grimy. It's dirty. Where'd you get this? Oh, it was in my garage. He just re-recorded the movie that he had over whatever it was. He recorded over it. So whenever you do that, you often have generational loss. And that's the best. It'll do. It'll do. Well, you're not writing this. So I put it in, and it's a very dim, faded copy. It's grainy. It's difficult to see any of the mouth movements. Okie dokie. So I wrote it under these time constraints, just round the clock, writing, writing, writing. And they would get me the visuals as they came for the missing slugs. Mm. I finally finished it. Kevin, the director, kept coming out. Are you done? Are you done? Are you done? Are you done? So yeah, okay. It'll be, what's tell you? I have one line. Write it. I will. And it was a scene 
near the end where Montico has attacked the Fuchicoma, the big tank where she's trying to pull up the hatch and her synthetic skin is tearing and the thing grabs her by the head. She's about to be crushed when you hear this amazing boom and the whole room shakes and it's Bateau in the mezzanine and he's been shooting at this thing and he finally disables the tank with this massive weapon. So the dialogue, it just doesn't work. She is speaking to him saying, what was that? He goes, oh, it's something that the weapons division gave me. It's part of my private collection. And it just seemed wilted, just seemed damp. It didn't have kapow to Mm. it, so to speak. So I thought about it and thought about it. And I got so frustrated because I had to turn it in. I just said, screw it. I said it was your standard issue big gun. Right. Uh, that was it. It's a simple fix. A simple thing. Standard yeah. issue big gun. And I was sure they'd throw it away. And it became a meme. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see yeah. it on shirts and that. Like, wow. Well, so, yeah, I was glad they so kept that. So you're responsible for that. I am, yes, the standard yeah. issue big gun person. That is awesome. Imagine if you got a residual for every time that meme got through. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be here. No. No. <laughs> you wouldn't be here down in the trenches with us, the likes of us. No, totally true. I know. <laughs> So Mary, I was trying yes. to think, when did we actually meet? Because It was Digimon. It yeah. was when you were working with Terry. Yeah. And I don't know who. Reckoned. She was producing it. I was the exec on it. Yeah. And I we know. were in a writer's meeting. Was it for season two? It was two? down in Westwood. Yeah. And I don't remember the season. I went down there and you gave me one of the episodes and I came home. I was all excited. And then my husband said, no, I can't watch the kid and I can't do this. I'm busy now. You can't take this job. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm blaming you, Les. <laughs> So, oh, Leslie, in trouble now. Yeah, don't. take it. He doesn't even it. know where I am. He just <laughs> so due to circumstances beyond my control, I had to like pass on it after getting all amped up to write that. But that's where we first met. Yeah, and so, Mary Elizabeth and Steve Bloom. Yeah, he had just started writing. That's right. You and Les had worked with Mary Elizabeth and Steve Bloom way oh, before yeah. Digimon days. In fact. I will say that if it were not for me and Les, I don't think Steve would be a voice actor. Oh. Because he was working for... (coughs) um, More bubbly. uh, Charlie Band. Charles Band. Oh, yes. He brought a castle in Italy, didn't he? Yes. And he's done a number of amazing things. From beyond. So he was working, I believe, in distribution or legal. He was doing some corporate administrative work for Charles Band for alchemy and effects in Charles Band's company. But he had this golden voice, and he had already begun to do some voice work. And I believe they actually started at Les's garage in a humble garage in Pacoima. And then he came to the facility he had, and Steve was great. Steve is not only a golden throat, he's just a mensch. I say that about me. I've got a golden voice. He is amazing. Yes. I mean, his range is incredible. I had him on a couple of my shows too. Yeah, and he's so nice. And he can do like super squeaky one second and they do like this deep sort of like very... Because he's Spike in Cowboy Bebop, right. the lead. He's just amazing. And he's such a good, good guy. He is. But I mm. hope Steve doesn't mind me telling the story. We had a little waiting area and he was sitting there. I came in and he was weeping. Mm. I mean, crying. I said, what's wrong? He goes, my wife doesn't want me to do this anymore. Mm. And um, she wants me to stay where I'm at. And I have thoughts about Charlie that I won't get into. Well, maybe I will. Depends <laughs> after I'm done with that glass. <laughs> but um, his wife didn't want him to move into that. And I said, you can't throw this opportunity away. Your voice is one in a million. It's amazing and you're so good, everyone loves you. Then my husband came in, what's going on? So we both sat there, we just kind of sandwiched him, said, dude, you cannot, you must. And 
after a while, he said, thank you. Thank you very much. Mm. And he pursued it and then divorced his wife. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's perfect because he married Mary Elizabeth and they are just a perfect couple. And I think everything worked out. Everyone yeah. seems to be happy. It worked well. And I'm really happy that he went that way because he would have missed an incredible yeah. opportunity. Mm. That's so good that you did that. We yeah. need that sometimes. I think he got that validation told. from a lot of people in the industry uh. because he was so incredibly likable. It's like Johnny Bosch was right. came from Power Rangers. Johnny is a lovely, a lovely young man. <laughs> and he was so sweet and he wanted to get into voiceover. He just had no experience and he was not good. And Kevin wanted to say, we're, not, we're just not going to use him. And I remember talking to him. I just got all up in his face and, oh, no, you're not going to get rid of Johnny. Oh, no, you're not. And <laughs> he goes, that Johnny, he's a good boy. He has, you know, martial arts training. He's disciplined and he's sweet. And he, I love him. I love him. You're not getting rid of Johnny. And, <laughs> and Les did the same thing. It's like, okay. And he backed down and gave Johnny prompting and a little more encouragement yeah. and instruction. And there's Johnny. Yeah. There's Johnny. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. But a lot of people started and came up through the ranks there. And here we are. Well, yeah. <laughs> here we are. I mean, that, that's, I mean, just looking at your writing credits, I mean, they are vast. They're talking about the writing credits. Sorry, James, to cut in. Hey, always. Go ahead. Cut me down. But no, because it is amazing because just this journey so far, and we've included the writing, but just the journey, how you've gone from all these different disciplines and yeah. I think it's incredible and it's really inspiring. You don't have to be limited to one thing. You don't have to see yourself in one way. You can be many things, I think. I mean, to go from PA to writing anime script. And running a studio. Yeah, and running a studio. <laughs> I mean, it's well, amazing. Very I just inspiring. can't figure out what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> I, mean, I actually have always felt envious of people who knew what their callings were. You're an amazing storyboard artist. But you started with creature effects, but yeah, you've gone, you. that's almost a logical extension. You're seeing the physical, now you're putting it into a two-dimensional form. And storyboarding is a very difficult job when you do it correctly. Oh, Mary, I like you even well, more. I'll tell you, my, <laughs> my practice husband, sorry, his father was Harold Michelson. Do you yeah, know? Yeah, of course I know Harold Michelson. He's the man who, uh, that film with the shot through the legs, what was that called? Oh, he, The Graduate. Yeah, he created yeah. that. Sure. And he, he did the birds. And yes. I remember when I started dating Dennis, his son, and we went to his parents' house and he said, sit down. Okay. And close your eyes. Okay. It's like, <laughs> what, what and I feel something in my lap. I looked down. It's a binder. It's like, it's a binder? He goes, open it and open it. It's the birds, the original storyboard. Oh my so God. The father was allowed to keep it. It was a family thing. Wow. And I'm looking through it and I realize every single shot is exactly what yeah. you see. But he understood the composition and the camera and depth of field. And people think it's not just stick figures doing right. things. No. It's so much more. Yeah, That's well, something you, I man. would do <laughs> so I don't oh, forget the shot. But no, it's like I remember you storyboarded a sequence that was one of the first things we shot at your stages. Oh, you did the boards. He did the boards for that film that I won't mention of oh, uh, mm. getting caught under the car. Yeah. Which was yeah. a really excellent sequence, actually. I actually filmed it shot for shot, I think. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was fantastic. And you did that, such a great job on that. Thank you very much. You're basically drawing the vision of the director and you're laying it out for the camera person, the DP. Mm, it's such yeah. a critical role and I think it's been diminished and undervalued because people don't really understand what it is. No, well, also I think it's also, it's Hollywood's dirty little secret. And I get so sick of seeing these making ofs. And I respect all these crafts, stunt, special effects, obviously, having worked in a lot of them. 
but they just do not say, oh, this came from this drawing before previs. Previs comes from the drawing, I mean, the sketch or whatever, even if it's rendered in computer now, which they mm -hmm. all are. But there's no admittance to that. It can get a bit depressing. It can get a bit yeah. fucked off with it, quite frankly. So it's nice that people like yourself do see that and appreciate it, especially with the connection there with Michelson, yeah. which is amazing. Uh, technology has really taken over a lot of the standard done by human jobs. And I've seen, obviously, things have gotten much easier and been facilitated through technology. Mm. But technology, it's like, is it replacing humanity? A little bit too much. Mm. I don't like all the CG. No. And what I am happy to see, do you know who Gene Warren yeah. was? Oh, yeah, I worked with Gene Warren. Oh, he mm. and I used to go dancing. <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we were old friends. I know him from a long time ago. But I was so pleased that he was teaching actual how to work with practical physical effects at the USC. And kids were like knocking over themselves to get his class. Sure, he sure. said, if you can get your effects in camera and do it real, mm. do it. And it looks real. It yeah. looks organic. It seems like you've got so much weight to it. Because I look at these digital creations and the character looks too light. And it's supposed to enable you to get shots you can't normally get. Mm. But if you could normally get it, I would go for it. I agree. And I think Harry Potter was a very good example of that. Where, oh no, Game of Thrones. Where they had an actor dressed with prosthetic makeup. And then they made him a giant. Mm -hmm. They used digital to Brilliant. put it yeah. perfect. But when you have the digital giant in its entirety CG your brain uncanny valley you know that and gene warren i worked on the show with him as atomic train and he built oh. this huge train and he did an atomic blast and all that and it was just you can't beat the tenacity and the craft i think of there it is it is a craft it's truly a craft sure. and it feels like it's going to go the way of the dinosaur mm. soon if it hasn't talking of that with your stage so there's all this thing now with the stage craft the lcd screens the, the, the led screens yeah, yeah the walls mm -hmm. yeah because that seems quite impressive when i like watch the mandalorian they are in fact we were hoping to go into a partnership with another company that had one because we built a small stage in fact what used to be magnitude 8 post right. was ripped out because my husband's retired and it became a small stage we're going to do that but then it got taken over by the owner who's doing his own projects we still have a big digital green screen but we are still talking about maybe implementing that because it works in conjunction with a green screen right. very often old technology is not forgotten and if people know how to use it effectively it could be the best thing for your project mm. so we are talking about that it could do anything in the blink of an eye and unless somebody really knows how to utilize it to the best advantage yeah. you can really combine everything and make it effective and look great i love the mandalorian the way that looks yeah in fact they were shooting some of it across the street in the wash oh really yeah. oh they were we didn't know that oh. my stage manager was looking at a google aerial thing and he's like what the heck is that and he walks over that's the man Mandalorian, man, it's across the street. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. That's awesome. In the wash. That's very good. And your spaceship set's still there, right? They are still there. Those vintage things that are like 31 years old now. That's amazing. Wow. I was laughing at your Facebook post the other day when you had that young the kid. kid. <laughs> this kid comes in. Tell a story, Mary. It's great. Every once in a while, of course, we get calls from people who don't know anything about film and well, you can't afford it or you don't know what you're doing or you're a student. And this kid called from New York. He was a boy. Hi, uh, I'm calling about your spaceship sets. And right away, 
you know, I'm not rude or anything. I said, yes, we have them. And, you know, these are for film and video and they're not inexpensive and you have to have production insurance and all this. Oh, yeah, I got my dad. My dad's going to handle that. <laughs> okay, got it. Well, sure enough, he called back the next day with his father, who is a New York businessman. And we talked about it. And the father talked to me and said, this kid's got like 8 million hits on TikTok. Really? really? And I watched it. It was nothing spectacular, but he did it. The kid is 18 and they move forward with a rental and they're doing their music video. He goes by Lil, L-I-L-M-A-B-U, Lil Mabu. And Lil Mabu. Uh, hmm. Lil Mabu. So I tell his father, I'm very patient with everybody and tell him about everything and where to stay in hotels. So they come in on a Saturday and I go in to meet him. And sure enough, they couldn't be more New York. Oh, I just want to thank you so much. They're Italian. They're Italian New Yorkers. Oh, that's cool. They're so nice. They're so nice. No, you know, this boy is a good boy. He's straight A's. He's on the speech team. He does all this, that, and the other. And I'm coming out here to make sure he doesn't get mixed up with any wrong elements. Oh, yeah. And I thought, that's so sweet. That yeah, it dad, is. That's a great story. But the kid is 18, just oh. like fresh 18, and he's got a space suit, and they're going to hang him from a truss or something with this rigor. And he's got all his kids around him. And I said, you know, we've had NASA here, JPL, and William Shatner shot here. And he goes, ha, huh, that's cool. Who's he? <laughs> oh, my, oh my God. God. <laughs> How old do I feel right oh, now? Dude, yeah. Oh, that's just, yeah. yeah. That's, that's harsh. All right. My big claim to fame at the city is I don't know who any rappers are. I know who Snoop Dogg is because he's on a show with Martha Stewart. Yeah, now. right. So, <laughs> okay. But he's been there twice. Right. And oh. I remember getting really angry at his group because they were smoking dope in the building. I don't care what you smoke, but you can't smoke it in my building because right. it's a fire thing. Yeah. So I have to go up there and say, hi. You know, here comes the, the old middle-aged white lady. Hi. <laughs> I know you like to do this, but you have to do it outside. And please don't do it. I'm being really polite. And they're totally ignoring me like I'm not there until I get angry. I said you're not smoking in here. You take it outside. I'm going to go down there and tell Snoop that the cold protection shut down because you won't smoke it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So they go down there. And so Snoop comes in one day, and I'm walking out, and he's walking with some guy. And he's got that kind of walk. And, hey, Mary. I said, hi, Snoop. Hey, I want you to meet this friend of mine. This is Pharrell. And I put my hand out, and I said, I'm sorry, what's your name? And he looks at me, Pharrell. He bites it out, and I thought, that's somebody I should probably know. Yeah. And, I, and I just quickly make it, I'm sorry, I have to run. Bye. And as I leave, I hear Snoop go, hey, she don't know who you are. I thought, oh, I see. I see. You got us both in one comment. Oh, yeah. We good. get that a lot, don't yeah, we? Yeah, exactly. You uh. be sweet now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, it yeah. makes me want to start beatboxing. No, I bet no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm gonna eat this now. Do, Do it, it. yes. Okay. Mary's tucking in. Go on. Yeah. Is it good? What's it taste like? It's kosher. Apricot. Oh. I believe. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. Mm. No, it's a good bakery. I'm coming back to this place again. Yeah. My, my heritage is part Jewish as well. So well. Oh. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on <laughs> for Mary. Just to end, yes. to bring it skidding up to current times, now you're a writer, so are you in the WDGA? Uh, uh, no, WGA. The WAGA? WGA. The WGA, yes. I am not, although I was invited. Of all the things I've ever written, I wrote probably the absolute worst version of Biohazard Degeneration. <laughs> it was... <coughs> Shit. 
<laughs> champagne, champagne, <laughs> quick. Yeah. And it was all a computer graphic generated version and I wrote it. And because it played theatrically, it met the criteria for oh. WGA. And I get this big glowing invitation. You are now welcome to join. Well, okay, but I don't want to pay all these dues if I'm yeah. not going to be writing. So I just kind of passed on it. So I'm not WGA. Okay. But I'm now working on my own original stuff that I hope one day, someday, please let me finish. I, re I really in touch hope with so. that kid whose dad's a money guy. That's funny you said that. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, the kid's dad, I Googled him. His name came up number one out of all of New York. He owns funeral parlors. Well, they a say it's a dying money. business, but... Da-da-bing! But, um... <laughs> People are just... Never mind. I thank you all. I am appearing in Birmingham next yeah, week. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But um, what I'd like to do is finally get some of my original stuff done and short stories and scripts. So are we talking short films, motion pictures, or um, One is a, an episodic children's show right. that I started when my you child was little. You told me about that a while back. And now it's getting reformulated, and I've got someone interested in working with me on it. We want to shoot it, and I'm hoping it will be done at least a pilot before the end of the year. Nice. Brilliant. So I don't know. You never know where these things are going to go. Mm. Oh, Mary, that's awesome. I really hope that happens for you. Thank you. So you get more of a me sniff. Too. And me too. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, like, I really want. I mean, we didn't get discuss James. We don't need James. to discuss me. We don't need to discuss me at all. We talk about me all the time. This is Mary's day. and um... No, but I wanted to get Mary's perspective on you. Don't put her on the spot. No, I'm not. But he makes the best eggnog in the world. What more does one need to know? Thank you very much. Right way to there you go. It. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, James is great. Well, oh, I mean, we've always been great. No, he's a good really man. No, Mary's been very instrumental in being so generous with her time and letting us film on the stage. Are you doing anything with that? Did anything come of it? You know, Sam will be the next person we bring on at some point or another. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a labor of love for Sam. Really? Yeah. He shot the original stuff on 16mm. It then moved to video when video became a thing. It then mm -hmm. we shot it digital. We did some pickups at the stage. Mm -hmm. What, 2019? Was it that long? Yeah, it was wow. December 2019, just before lockdown. And you were dressed as a gherkin. When I was dressed as a gherkin. <laughs> the green outfit, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. don't look good. And interesting <laughs> thing about that. Knuckles. Yeah. I was pulling that freaking flight suit on and Sam sort of like slips into his, no problem, like this. It was two months after that, Sam goes, yeah, really sorry, I owe you an apology. Um, I put on your suit. <laughs> I'm like... Thanks, Captain Moose yeah. Knuckle here. Yeah, my nads don't thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, Snug. <laughs> and then you took a picture. Of I have it. It's still hanging oh over my, my desk. Oh, it, it's there. It's there in perpetuity, my friend. Sorry. Oh, my God. All right. Well, fine. <laughs> no, but seriously, Mary, thank you. Thank oh, you, it was you. such a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for the goodies and for cracking open the uh, celebratory bottle. <laughs> yeah, because oh, who cheers, needs Mary. to drive thank home? <laughs> Mary Claypool, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Before we go, we bring you our... Fuck chat! Fuck chat! Fuck chat! Fact check segment. Here, with the benefit of hindsight and editing, we can own up to our mistakes. So, James, the Renfield screening that I very graciously took you to, the gentleman who Heiko and April introduced you to, because I was too shy, was Robert Kirkman. 
Thank you. That was the man whose name escaped me. And uh, I had a nice conversation with him, actually, and that was really good, I have to say. So thank you, Heiko and April. You're welcome. Martin. Yes. The Paul Thomas Anderson movie that you storyboarded and yes. subsequently forgot what the name of the movie was, was Boogie Nights. Ah, Boogie Nights. Yes. Well, I'm so bitter about it, of course, that naturally the title would escape me. Thank you, James. <laughs> You're welcome. And then lastly... Yes, Jonathan Stark was the name of the actor. Mary was talking about the creature and visual effects for Fright Night, and he played Billy Cole, a.k.a. Billy Bones, because he melts on the stairs. I remember that scene. That yeah. was excellent. That is brilliant. Brilliant. All right. Well, that's it. I think we had a great one today. Brilliant. I love hearing those stories from you-know-where the trenches and we had our own sniff of hollywood through mary yeah we did thank uh, you mary. i don't know that, that sounds was... a bit worrying though. i might cut that and on that note <laughs> sir we shall talk again soon <laughs>